if you've been sort of trusting the universe, right? Trusting the universe is not going to work. So what does this mean? It means shifting your mindset to proactive from reactive. Welcome to the Smart Gets Paid podcast with me, Leah Niederthal. I help women land higher paying clients in their independent consulting businesses, but I've never been a salesperson. My background is in corporate marketing. And when I started my first consulting business, I learned pretty quickly that it's about a thousand times harder to sell your own stuff than it is to sell someone else's. So I taught myself how to do it and I created the sales approach that I now share with my clients so they can feel more comfortable in the sales process, get more of the right clients and get paid way more for every client contract. So whether your client contracts are $5,000, $100,000 or more, if you wanna work with more of the clients you love, do more of the work you love and get paid more than you ever thought you could, then you're in the right place. Let's do it together. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to rate, review and share. Hey there, thanks for joining me in this episode. I hope that wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you're having a great week, making some good progress in your business and also taking some time for yourself. So we're back for part two of how to get consulting clients in a recession. And we're gonna get to that in just a minute. But first I just wanna check on you. How are you doing? How are your holidays? How's your winter? I hope that you are staying warm, getting out, enjoying the winter. Over here in New York, it's pretty cold. And every winter, like I can't think about winter now without thinking about the winters that I endured, lived through when I lived in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for nine years after college. You might've heard me mention it. And you've probably heard how brutal Chicago winters are. You should know that whatever you've heard, just know they are worse than you have imagined but I did nine Chicago winters. And the thing about winter there is that like, you can complain, everyone does, but it's also kind of a badge of honor. I mean, at least for me it was, you know, or is, to like live there and go through a winter there. And you learn how to do layers really, really well, you know, so you can like bundle up, take the L, go to work. And when I was living there, that's also when I got into cycling. And there's actually a really big winter cycling community in Chicago. So one winter, I made the decision that I was going to ride my bike to work through the whole winter, like through the whole winter. I think the coldest day I rode through, it was something like six degrees and like God knows what the wind chill was because of course it's always like wintry, blustery. I don't know how you can like have a headwind, you know, in both directions, but it's possible apparently. And, you know, there's snow and ice on the path. But every day I would ride from uptown where I lived, down the lakefront, through downtown and to my office in the West Loop. And if you're from Chicago or you live in Chicago and you know Chicago geography, you're probably thinking like, wait, why would you take the lakefront if you're going to the West Loop? But trust me, I mapped it. It was still faster than going any other way. And so this is where those layering skills I learned really paid off because, okay, so just to set the scene here, this is what I would wear from top to bottom every day. So starting at the top, I'd wear a neoprene like balaclava, right? It goes over your head and your nose and mouth and only your eyes are visible. So that would be to protect my face. I'd wear a helmet, of course, always. I had like a cover that goes over the helmet, kind of like a windbreaker for your helmet. I would wear ski goggles some type of base layer or technical warm shirt, 
I wore a gaiter, like a neck gaiter between my shirt and my chin, balaclava, whatever. I wore a long sleeve shirt over my base layer, then a fleece jacket, then a windbreaker. So that's the top half. On my hands, they have these special cycling gloves called lobster claws, which imagine these big mittens that are like split down the middle between your middle finger and your ring finger to make sort of like two big fingers so that you can still shift gears while you're riding. And sometimes I even wore gloves inside of those mittens. On the bottom, I wore these fleece-lined cycling leggings. And then over those, I wore basically like warm-up pants to block the wind. On my feet, I wore really warm socks and then my cycling shoes. And then over that, I wore these neoprene booties that cover your whole foot and then your ankle. So that was my outfit to ride to work every morning. And I'd pack my backpack with my clothes for work. And then there was a gym across the street from my office and I would get ready for work there. And then I'd put on everything again. I'd do the same thing to ride home. And yeah, I mean, listen, it was cold. There's no doubt. But I also felt really accomplished every day. You know, I felt like I was doing something that few people could do or would ever even attempt. And that made me feel good. And I ended every day feeling proud. So yeah, that's my big accomplishment with Chicago winters, riding my bike through the winter. It was nuts, I know, but it was awesome. All right, so let's dive into how to get consulting clients in a recession, shall we? So as I shared in part one, if we're going to talk about how to secure clients in a recession, we have to talk about how clients make purchase decisions in a recession. And there are seven shifts in how clients make decisions in a recession. In part one, we talked about the first three of those. If you'll remember, we talked about the first one called pains require painkillers, which means In a recession, clients only purchase products and services that solve their most critical problems. So as a consultant, especially now, you can't talk about your work in terms of the tactics that you do or the things that you do or the services you provide. You have to, you must, like it's critical, you have to talk about your work in terms of the value you provide, how your work solves your client's number one most important problem. In our world, that's called a painkiller. And in a recession, it's the only way to get clients to care about what you do. Sounds kind of harsh, but it's true. We also talked about number two called green light, red light, which means that in a recession, the sales process is going to feel a little bit like the game green light, red light, lots of stops and starts, and it's going to take longer than it normally would. So to protect your business and your revenue, you have to have more in your sales pipeline than you normally would. Essentially, you need to be having more conversations with potential clients going on at once than you normally would in normal times. So that whatever happens with any one of the sales processes that you're going down with your clients, you'll still be able to have the income that you need. And we talked about number three called your biggest competitor is invisible. It's the fact that in a recession, you probably won't lose a potential client to a competitor. You'll most likely lose it to no decision. Essentially, the client won't make a decision at all and they'll just stay with the status quo, even though the status quo is causing them some pain. So to overcome that, it's up to us to take the value that we provide, take that painkiller statement and put it front and center in all of our communications, every touch point throughout the sales process. So your website, or when you schedule a call, or in your follow-up email, when you send a proposal, everywhere. 
And when you do that, you remind the client, hey, this is why it's important to solve your number one most critical problem. Not why it's important to me, but why it's important to you. So those are the three shifts we covered in the last episode. Now, in part two, we're gonna talk through the next four of the seven shifts. And if you'll remember, what you're gonna hear comes from a training that I led in the early pandemic times when everyone was kind of freaking out that clients were never gonna say yes again, clients were never gonna spend money again, and everyone was wondering what to do. So I put together a training called How to Get Consulting Clients in Uncertain Times. It was, without a doubt, my most popular training that whole year. And what I shared then is just as relevant now. So that's what you're going to listen in on. And you're going to drop in right in the middle as we talk about the fourth shift. So if you're someone who likes to take notes when you listen to this podcast, you're definitely going to want to take notes in this episode. So fair warning, if you are out running or walking your dog or you're listening to this while you're driving, all right, you are going to want to take some notes. And if, as you're listening to this, there's an aha or an insight that this episode brings up for you, I'd love to hear it. Write about it on LinkedIn, post it, be sure to tag me so I see it, and I'll give you a shout out. All right, so let's dive in. Take a listen, and at the end, I'll come back and share a lesson you can apply to your business. All right, the fourth change is called e pluribus unum. So if you live in the US, you are familiar with this phrase because it's on our money. It means out of many, one. In times of economic uncertainty, when making decisions feels like a risk, clients are going to tend to evaluate more providers than they have before. They're going to want more options to choose from. Even though studies show that actually makes it harder to make a decision, it's going to feel like they, that they're reducing their risk by evaluating more options. So e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Clients will tend to evaluate more providers that they normally, than they normally would and will tend to go with the safest option. Okay, So let's talk about what it means to be the safest option. The safest option is the option with the best know, like, and trust factor. It's the option where, where clients feel like they know you, they know your business, they like you and they trust you, all right? They know that you're not a fly-by-night person, you can do what you say you can and that you have the results to prove it, okay? So what does this mean for you? How do you become the safest option? You start showing up, you start being seen, getting in front of people, being seen as an expert, You start putting out information about how you think, how you work, the results your clients have seen, your client stories, being seen as an expert because, and most of the time, this is going to be on LinkedIn. I would say for 90% of the people on this call, this is going to be to do this on LinkedIn. That's where your clients are. So because your clients are going through anywhere from two thirds to 90% of the sales process in a way that's totally hidden to you because they're taking in information, they're learning about you. That education process is always happening. And if you don't give people a chance to learn from you, then how are they gonna learn about you? How are they gonna know that you even exist, right? So Nancy Ruzzo is a woman who I spoke, had the pleasure of speaking to over the past week in that project I was telling you about. And she said, this is, she's been in business for 35 years, you guys. She said, in the last recession, I thought this is the time to stay in front of people, market. She said, you're not necessarily selling to people, but you're giving them valuable information. You're being in front of them so that they, when they come out of that, they think, well, you were one of the helpful people and you're also good at what you do. 
So she said, that's what I did. I just kept marketing and you know, it's worked because she's been in business for 35 years. I, I was reading something recently that really illustrated this so beautifully that it actually gave me chills. Um, I was reading a book called Because Internet, which is about linguistics. I'm a total word nerd. If you've worked with me before, you know that I geek out over words. And it's this woman who's a, as an author, a researcher in media and communication studies wrote, in order to exist online, we must write ourselves into being. Isn't that beautiful? Write ourselves into being. So this is what I need. I want you to do. Write yourself into being. Show up. Let people see you. Let people understand you and understand how you work. That's the first step to you know, becoming, creating more opportunities, to becoming one of the helpful ones. All right? So that is E Pluribus Unum. The fifth change is called help me help you. All right. You guys remember this. I mean, how could you not? So what's on the screen, what I'm referring to is this slide has an animated GIF or GIF or however you say it. I say GIF. It has an animated GIF of that famous scene from Jerry Maguire where Jerry, Tom Cruise, is in the bathroom with his client, Cuba Gooding Jr., just begging him to, like, please make my life a little bit easier. Just saying, help me help you. Iconic scene. Great movie. Let's keep going. In times like these, clients obviously won't want to free up budget very easily. I mean, that's probably a given, right? But they can free up budget. You just have to think differently about how to help your clients do that. So help me help you means clients are going to have to make a very strong case for why the company should make this particular investment. What that means is that consultants will have to help clients navigate their company's own buying process, okay? Because even in normal times, you're, you might think that you're selling to a person in a company, but you're, you're really not. You're selling into a system. You're selling into a, a system of, of needs and people and priorities. And it's almost like a, a, a rope that's been knotted up, right? So your job is to help clients navigate that process, have, help them navigate their own buying process. How do you do that? Go beyond the standard discovery questions. You know, how, how many, what do you need? What's the timeline? How do you, you know, how do you guys work? And start to uncover how buying decisions are made, okay? Then you can lead the client to help clients navigate that process within the company. So one important question is who is part of the decision, right? Find all the stakeholders. In some cases, it's their, you know, their boss, their superior. In some cases, it's management or a committee. It could be finance or procurement. If you're doing individual work and or work with individuals in addition to companies, it could be a partner or a spouse. So understanding who's part of the decision and what's in it for them. And also asking questions to really establish the decision process. Here are a few examples asking, you know, who feels the pain in this problem or who's involved in the dis- this decision or even like how do decisions like this get made and letting the client tell you. The client might actually not know how to navigate their own company's process. They might know what the process is, right? I have to go to legal or whatever, but they might not know how to navigate it and sell in. So, you know, you, and when we talk about selling in, what we're talking about is, you know, most of the sales process actually happens when you're not even there. 
because your client might have to sell it into other people. And so it's helping your client do the sale, right? Help me help you. So for example, you know that your client has to talk to their boss or whatever, you know, offer to write some bullet points that he or she can take to that conversation or ask what they need for a presentation about this topic, right? Help your client sell on your behalf. All right. So that's help me help you. The sixth change is called dating, not marriage. All right. So in times like these, clients are going to feel kind of skittish about entering into engagement that might feel like a commitment, right? They're going to want to test things before committing. So anything that's that like starts at zero and then the clocks or the meter starts running is going to feel very risky to them, especially. So if you're doing hourly work, this is sort of where this hits, right? But even if it's a time-bound engagement, because it feels risky, So dating, not marriage means it's going to be harder for clients to say yes to an open-ended or a time-based consulting engagement. Don't propose marriage. Go on a date first, right? So what does that mean? What are some examples of that? I want you to provide a way to build trust and demonstrate value through a clearly defined project. And what does clearly defined mean? It means defined value, defined engagement, and defined price. Okay, so let's look at a couple of examples of that. This is an example from my client, Sherry Taylor, who helps nonprofits pivot to larger donations. So she has a program called the Let's Grow Fundraising Accelerator, where you can pivot, she'll teach you how to pivot from low dollar donor activities to larger gifts, like major donor stuff, all right? She has a set of outcomes. You, your clients can grow into larger gifts. You'll be able to create compelling pitches that allow that attract and retain donors. You'll be able to fully fund your programs and on and on and on, right? Those are outcomes. It's a 90-day program at a fixed price, okay? So let's break this down. Defined value. The, def- the value is front and center. Pivot from low dollar donor activities to larger gifts. If you're somebody who has, or if you're a nonprofit who wants to get into larger gift, that, that value is going to speak to you. Defined outcomes, which are part of the value. And notice, you know, she still hasn't said, like, I do an assessment, it's a three-hour workshop, all of that, right? It's all about the outcomes. Defined engagement and then defined price. All right. So that's awesome work, Sherry. But I just saw one yesterday from my friend who's a designer. She's launching a new program. It's a one-day intensive where she'll design your whole brand in one day. So we're talking about defined value and defined engagement. Really clear. So you can date instead of proposing marriage. Okay. So that's dating, not marriage. The last one is really important. It's called buy a ticket. So there's a really wonderful old Italian joke about a woman who goes to church every day and sits in the pews and prays for hours before the statue of her saint. She says, you know, dear saint, please, please, please give me the grace to win the lottery. And it goes on for months and months and months, right? Coming every day. Finally, the statue comes to life, looks down at the woman and says, my child, please, 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 Buy a ticket. All right. Have you guys ever heard that before? I love that that story. Buy a ticket. If you want to get consulting clients, you have to start getting proactive. I talk to a lot of women who who confess to me that they 
haven't really, they, they've gotten clients, but they haven't really done anything to get clients. You know, so you sort of gotten clients in spite of yourself. Maybe they've trickled in through referrals. Clients has just sort of found them or they've come through word of mouth, but you haven't done anything to actually make that happen. In uncertain times like these that we're in right now, that's going to slow down. This whole like, you know, low hanging fruit, the clients who just sort of find you despite them, you know, not doing anything, that's going to slow down. So if you've been sort of trusting the universe, right? Trusting the universe is not going to work. So what does this mean? It means shifting your mindset to proactive from reactive. So many women I talk to have spent a lot of time being reactive. You know, a client comes your way, they need this. You're like, yeah, I can do that, right? Or maybe even the money's not great, but I'll take it on because you need the money. What we're talking about here is getting proactive. So what can you do? Reach out to past clients, reach out to current clients, reach out to potential clients in your pipeline, show up, get visible, start to be seen as an expert. You have to do something. And I know the tendency because, you know, I know that I I work with a lot of very high performing perfectionists and people who, women who hold themselves, probably you hold yourself to very high standards, right? I want to encourage you to look forward, not backwards. If you feel like, oh, I should have been doing this the whole time. How could I have let myself get to this point? Stop kicking yourself for not having done this so far because you are here you're in the right place, you're learning about the right things. And this is the time to start. You know, there is no better time to start. It's like, when is it, it's, there's a, like a parable or something or that says like, when was the best time to plant, plant a tree like a hundred years ago? But the second best time is right now. Okay. So these are the seven changes. Pains require painkillers, green light, red light. Your biggest competitor is invisible. E pluribus unum help me help you dating, not marriage and buy a ticket. All right. So I just, I created this little chart for you so that, cause I know it's a lot just to sort of summarize the changes and my recommendations. Okay. So now I want to know what's the one thing that you can do right now, this week or today or this weekend, tell me of the seven and I'll put them back up actually of the seven what can you do right now? Let me know in the chat. Just some, let's, let's get it out there. Let's have some, some, you know, Zoom accountability. Anne says, buy a ticket, buy a ticket, dating, not marriage. Patricia says, petitioning, positioning my work as a painkiller, repositioning, showing up and buying a ticket, defining your engagements. A lot of buying a ticket. I love this. Buying a ticket. I, I love, I mean, I love all this. What I would say is if I were, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, I would think about starting with pains require painkillers and buy a ticket. Because if you are already out there, if you're, if you've already bought a ticket, if you're already proactive, if you are already a painkiller, then yeah, come up with an offer. If you are hidden right now, then it doesn't matter what offer you create if nobody sees it. So I would say start, if you're starting literally at ground zero, start with pains require painkillers, then get proactive and then date, don't get married. All right. I love this. All right, you guys, 
I love, I'm just scrolling up. You guys are committing. We're getting some group accountability for committing to, I'm seeing a lot of buying a ticket, a lot of being visible. Yes. Okay, you guys, I love this. So I can stick around for about five more minutes with questions. If you guys have questions, I think I'm seeing some questions here. Julia asks, how can you get clients proactively if you post online and get crickets or you reach out with referrals and don't get any? Okay. Here's what I'll say to that, Julia. Getting new clients, being proactive, buying a ticket, filling your pipeline is not an event. It's a process. It's a long game. And so you, I promise you, you will not get clients. Nobody will. It's impossible, but you will not get clients by doing things every now and then. You will get clients by showing up consistently. And so is it worth it to post proactively if you post online and get crickets today? Yes, because you will keep posting and you might not get, you know, you'll get more of a response later. You're setting that in motion. If you go on LinkedIn where your actual clients are, keep showing up. Same thing with referrals. If you ask for referrals and don't get any, how can you take that from an event to a process. Who are the people who you think could refer you? How are you staying in touch with them more often? So consider that mindset shift. You know, you get clients not from what you do sometimes, but what you do consistently. All right, let's see. Some, uh, Catherine's asking stress management for accounting. What would be a painkiller? I think that's a really important question for you to maybe explore over the next week or so. Sit with it. If you're wondering what's the painkiller, uh, for your business, I bet that it's in your notes from client conversations. Uh, clients will tell you their biggest pain if you ask. The problem is that most of the times we're, when we're talking to clients, when we're responding to clients, we really focus on the services or the deliverables or whatever. What do you need? What's your timeline? What's your budget? Not necessarily what is, why is this important? Why is this important to the business? Why is this important to you personally? What happens if this fails? That The answer to what is the painkiller is in those questions, okay? If you've had these types of conversations with, with your clients, then the answer is in the notes, all right? So you guys, I'm so glad that you've spent this time with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, stepping out of your crazy life and, uh, and spending this time with us. I will talk to you soon. So in the last episode, I mentioned that this list of seven ways clients make purchase decisions in a recession, this isn't just a to-do list. It's not just, you know, a bunch of things that you need to start doing. It's really shifts in thinking. And in what I shared here today, it's shifting from thinking of showing up or getting visible as, you know, I just want sales and that feels weird to seeing it as building the no like, and trust factor so that you become the safest option. It's a shift from thinking of it as selling into your client, you know, your main contact, and instead shifting to thinking of it as helping your main contact sell in when you're not there. It's a shift from marriage to dating by creating something that clients can say yes to, and a shift from reactive to proactive by buying a ticket and really putting yourself in the driver's seat of your own business. These shifts are going to make a meaningful impact in your ability to get clients, even in a recession and really beyond too. And there are really two things I want you to take away as you start applying these lessons to your business. First, I want to go back to the Chicago story. So, you know, I rode my bike through a freezing, very windy Chicago winter, but I didn't tell you what happened after that. 
So when the weather warmed up and everyone else started riding again, I was in incredible shape because I'd been riding the whole time and riding through some really, really tough weather and tough that same year, that spring, I did the AIDS ride for the second time where you ride from San Francisco to LA to raise money for AIDS research and care. It's a seven day ride over these huge mountains. And on some days you're riding over a hundred miles a day, and then you have to wake up and do it again the next day. And you know what happened? I rode that seven day ride faster. At the end of each day, I felt better. I recovered faster and I was actually able to enjoy it. And all because I was stronger because I had gone through the rough parts of the winter. And so the first thing I wanna leave you with is this. I feel like you, us, all of us right now, we have a choice right now, kind of like I did that winter because you know winter was gonna happen. You can say it's too cold out, you're not gonna get out there. And then, you know, the thing is, the day will come when it warms up and you'll wanna ride, but you'll be out of shape. Or you can go through the cold parts, the tough parts and keep going because every ounce of effort you put in will absolutely pay off. And that's the same choice you have right now with your business and the recession. You can say that it's a recession. You can say getting clients is impossible. Clients won't say yes. They're not going to spend money. Let's wait and see. And eventually the day will come when it does get better, but you'll be in the exact same position that you are now. Or you can go through the hard parts. You can learn how to adjust and you can keep going and growing. Because just like in writing, every ounce of effort you put in now will absolutely pay off. And not just pay off only in the end, it'll pay off now, today, if you're willing to make that choice. But there's something else I also wanna leave you with. One thing that makes hard things hard is when you go through them alone. What makes them easier and easier to keep going is when you're around other people who are going through it with you and in a place where you can get help. I actually saw something a few weeks ago that made this so clear in such a beautiful way. I was watching a show on HBO called The Lost Kitchen. If you have HBO, check it out. It's a heartwarming show about this teeny tiny little restaurant in Maine. And at the time when they're filming the show, it starts, I think, like right around February, March, 2020. And it's this bustling little restaurant. And then the pandemic starts. And, you know, they have to like shut down service. They have to find new ways to make money, all of that. And, you know, everyone in this tiny little town is, you know, having to do the same thing, like all their suppliers, the farmers, the producers, etc. And so in one of these episodes, the restaurant owner, this woman, Erin, who's adorable, goes to visit her bread provider, this couple that makes this gorgeous, like artisanal wood-fired bread. And I guess by that time, it's like late summer, maybe mid to late summer. And so the three of them are talking about like how just WTF everything is these days. And the bread guy says, this is what he says, when everything started falling apart, it was really a test of how much do we love this? You know, like how much are we willing to battle to keep going? And it was definitely heartening every time we saw one of our buddies like you, like Aaron's battling, Aaron's gonna keep on making it happen. And I love that line. Essentially what he's saying is, it's heartening every time we saw one of our buddies succeed. So what I wanna leave you with is this, the way we're gonna get through this time isn't just with skills or strategies or shifts. You know, all of that is helpful, but the way we're really gonna get through this is with each other. It's community, it's support, it's accountability. That's how we're gonna do this together. 
It's why my favorite channel in the Slack group for the Academy is wins because we're celebrating all types of wins there so that everyone feels seen and supported and the motivation and accountability really spreads. Like one of the members posted that she just signed a PR client where she's charging double what she would have charged a year ago. And another member just had her highest dollar amount proposal to date approved. But it's not just the client wins that we celebrate. It's the wins along the way, the keep going wins. We celebrated that one of the members has made a practice of reminding herself what she's accomplished. Another member had a former client who sort of slid into her DMs, asking her to meet up and pick her brain. And she deftly said, basically like, no, pay me. And we got to cheer that on. We celebrated that a member shared that she has a full plate right now with client work. So she's dialing back to what we call simmer mode for her own business development so that she has time to do life and have the balance she's always wanted while she's still able to plant seeds for future work. We celebrate, just like the bread guy said, every time we saw one of our buddies succeed. That's how we continue on. That's how we keep growing. And we continue to get clients in a recession. 